0: by your words you will be justified, or by your words you will be condemned. There is power in your words. It can either be the greatest asset to your faith or the greatest enemy to your faith, and you need to grab hold of one or the other. As great as the economy and the prosperity is in our nation right this minute, the lack of faith in our nation is equal to our prosperity. We have put our faith in our money and not our faith in our God. Our money becomes our provider. Our money becomes our source. Our money becomes those things. And God is put way down here because we don't need Him.
1: Have you ever heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out? That's what happens when we start listening to the negative. We begin to allow it to define us rather than the Word of God. Our faith is always going to come up against obstacles and opposition. But it's how we deal with these times in our lives that defines us. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason discusses the greatest enemy to our faith.
0: This morning I want to talk to you about your faith's greatest enemy. We've been studying on Friday nights in the book of John. And in the book of John, one of the things that we're discovering is anytime there's a a demand placed on your faith, there's also an obstacle. How many of you know that? And so I want us to understand that those obstacles can and will be overcome in Christ. And that's the bottom line of where I want to get to today. But our faith is always going to run up against opposition. You're never going to be in a place where when you start to, to move that the enemy's not going to try to stop you. If it's the Red Sea or if it's the Jordan or if it's, uh, you know, the enemies of... Uh, 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 Nehemiah, if it's of the Jews through Nehemiah, it doesn't make any difference what's happening. All those are Old Testament. Yeah, because in the New Testament they all die. Go back and study what happened to all the apostles. Okay? And so there's opposition to your faith that comes. But I want to talk to you this morning about one in particular, and it's the greatest Opposition to your faith. It's the greatest enemy to your faith. Anybody know what it is? It's what? Fear. What if I told you there's one greater than fear? How about if I told you it was your tongue? Because you see what happens is fear doesn't exist until we speak it and acknowledge it and accept it. Amen? And so what we say with our mouth is the greatest enemy to our faith. We can choose either to agree with God's word or we can agree with the enemy. And people say, well, is there a third option? Nope. No third option. It's either agree with God or agree with the enemy. It's, it's one of those two things. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to take it out of the, psycho, uh, the pseudo-psychological Uh, atmosphere that it's been placed in. I want to take it out of the positive mental attitude place that has been put in. And I want to bring it into the biblical spiritual realm of where it goes and what we're supposed to do. And if I get to where I'm supposed to, we're going to get to the book of Revelation. And you're going to see right where we are today as a threat to our faith. And I don't want to scare you. What I want to do is encourage you. And so there's an old saying it said, say it, forget it, write it, and regret it. Anybody ever heard that saying? Oh, you haven't? Then y'all not have been around many lawyers, because lawyers say that all the time. Once you memorialize something, if you put it down, you're stuck with it. If you say it, you can deny it. If you don't believe that, look at all the politicians that we've got around us that are denying. Unfortunately for them, There's this thing called digital or video or tape, however you want to do it. And now we can go back and they can't deny it. But but for a long time, that's what they'd say was you can say it and then you can deny it. But once you write it, it's permanent. That's not true. Once you say it, you've released faith into the atmosphere. Let me say that again. Once you say it, you've released faith into the atmosphere. How did God create the earth and all the planets and everything? He said, He spoke, and it came into existence. We're created in the image of God. When we speak, we create. And we can create the atmosphere of heaven or we can create the atmosphere of hell. You know, I've done both. My wife has definitely done both. Like, some, like all you women haven't done that from one time or another. Come, all the men are just going, I don't know what he's talking about, honey. She didn't come, she doesn't get to know. You know, it, it can be a bad atmosphere. Oh, don't look at me so holy. Just raise your hand now. I'm going to make you raise your hand if you've ever created a bad atmosphere. Uh-huh. You know we have you know we have we we've let our anger overcome us and we've created a terrible atmosphere so we don't we want once we say it we're going to be creative in what we say in proverbs 18:21 it says death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit man i love to quote that first part of that life and death are in the power of the tongue or it says death and life I never, did, never, do, never have understood why he puts death first, I guess because we have a tendency to go to death first. Isn't that a shame that we go to the negative aspect of everything and we create death first? But look what that proverb says. Look what that proverb says. He said, you are going to eat your words. Let me read it to you one more time. Those who love it will eat its fruit. If you love to gossip, then you're going to to eat the fruit of gossip. If you love to lie, then you're going to eat the fruit of lies. If you love to confess God's word, then you're going to to eat from God's word. Am I making any sense to you? You know, uh, Jess Richardson told me one time, he said there were were people at Ford that they would continue to say, "This this is killing me, this is killing me, this is killing me. And you know what he told me? Every one of them died young. Why? They were eating from the fruit of their lips. Am I making sense to you? All right, now I know know a lot of you have heard some of this, but I just, I'm going to get into a little more detail if I can with you. In, In Matthew 12 37, Proverbs was mainly written by Solomon. But Matthew, you notice it's in red. Is it in red up there? Yeah, it's in red. For by your words, turn to your neighbor and say your words, words. you will be justified and by your words, say your words, words. you you will be condemned. Woo. Wait, surely he meant by my actions. How many think Jesus slipped up and made a mistake? I don't think so. I think he said it exactly the way he meant it. By your words, you will be justified, or by your words, you will be condemned. There is power in your words. It can either be the greatest asset to your faith or the greatest enemy to your faith and you need to grab hold of one or the other. What am I going to say? Let me, let me just take it just a little bit further. I want to tell you the story about John the Baptist and his birth. In Luke 1.5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before, the, before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So they were both righteous. Say it again. They were both righteous and they were both blameless. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not talking about me? No, you don't have to do that way. They were both righteous and blameless. I read an article the other day about this young man. He said that from the time he was like 10 or 11 years old, he had accepted Christ and he, and he followed Christ as hard as he could. He went to church every time the doors were open. He did everything he could. And he said at 30 years old, he said he, he lost his, his uh, best friend to cancer. And uh, he told him, he said, you know, he said, God, you didn't hold up your end. And he walked away from the faith because he had judged himself to be blameless and righteous before God. And his expectation of God came out of his actions and not out of what happened. Now, don't point the finger too hard at him because many of us have that same exact feeling. Now, God, I've done it exactly the way you said to do it, and it hadn't come out like you said it's supposed to. Of course, we're we're deceiving ourselves, number one, and we're blaming God, number two. And when you start blaming God, can I tell you there is death in blaming God? There's death that comes out of that. And so instead of increasing our faith, we, we increase our agreement with the enemy. And so they were both righteous and blameless. And then Luke 1.11, he goes on and says, And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The angel of the Lord shows up, and what's, what's Zechariah's response? He's fearful. He doesn't know what's going on. All of a sudden, there is a reverent holiness that he's never experienced before, even in the temple. And when the presence of God appears through the angel, comes through the angel and speaks to him, he is shaken. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Two things I want you to notice in there. He said, your prayers, turn to your neighbor and say, your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. I want to tell you again, your prayers have been heard. Come on. Come on. Amen. Your prayers have been heard. But Zechariah, he he hears this and and the angel says, Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. We we'll skip down to one eighteen. And Zechariah said to the angel, "How shall I know this?" Wham! Faith just went out the door. The Lord said, "You're healed." How do I know I'm healed? Well, when the pain disappears. How do I know? that my son is being touched by the prayer. When I see that change, faith just fell flat. Come on, when I, when I, how will I know Well, I don't know, Zechariah. God sent an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, scared you to death, and he spoke to you. You don't think that's a good enough sign? And Zechariah said, no, not really. How do you know he said, no, not really? Because he's asking him the question. How how do I know this to be true? How many times has God given you a word and you negate that word because you don't pray that word, you don't believe that word, you don't even rehearse that word. You let it blow over you like a breeze of air. God said and you don't act to what God said. Zechariah just heard what God said and his first response, well, well, how can I know this? If Jesus were standing right there in front of him, he would have said, oh, ye of little faith. If the disciples had little faith and they'd been with Jesus, isn't it possible that maybe your faith needs to increase just a little bit? I know mine does. I know I need to move in a place of more victory than I do right this minute. I'm moving in more than I was a year ago, and next year I'm gonna be moving in more than I'm moving right now. But the way I do that is I come into agreement with Jesus Christ and his word, and I don't buckle every time somebody said, Well, you got religion on you, or you, you're walking in a faithless position. I'm challenged in my spirit to say, if that's true, God, I repent and let's go for it. Instead of sitting there worrying about my little old feelings and how it affects my feelings, come on folks, this church, this church in America will never get beyond its feelings and into what Christ is saying until we quit getting them hurt at every little bitty thing that's said. Zachariah, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. What's the first thing he did? He looked at his circumstances. You don't quit looking at your circumstances and confessing your circumstances. You're going to die. I'm just going to tell you straight up, there's death in that. And the angel entered him, and I said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. would to God he'd have such mercy on us See, you don't see that as mercy but that's what that is that God saying I'm not going to let you negate what I'm saying is going to come to pass and so I'm going to shut your mouth so that you can't speak like a faith and I'm going to shut your ears so that you can't hear you an old man you can't do nothing you an old man you can't do nothing you an old man she's an old woman there's nothing you can do Turn to your neighbor and say, lying enemy. If God says it, it's a done deal. Come on. Come on, we got to grab hold of what he is saying. But He first thing he does, he said, I'm an old man. And the angel of the Lord said, well, let me tell you something then. I'm just going to shut you up, and you're not going to be able to speak. But he was able to communicate. He was turned from an unbeliever to a believer. He couldn't hear, and he couldn't speak. But somehow, he was able to get across to them that his name was going to be John. Because the Bible says they stood in amazement that he wanted to call him John. And I got news for you. If you hadn't spoken since the time of conception until eight weeks. A- I mean eight days after the birth, you probably would be in the same boat. Doesn't matter what he said. If he wants to call him Jehoshaphat, I don't care. I'll call him whatever you want to call him, God. You have convinced me that, that you're God. Look what God did, though. Look what God did. He shut his mouth. Why? Because this wasn't an event that was going to affect the entire future of the kingdom of God and the world itself. And God was not going to let Zechariah mess it up with his mouth. You begin to see how important what comes out of your mouth is? Do you see how important what goes into your ears are? He just wasn't spoke. he wasn't just taking his voice away. His ability to hear was taken away as well so that he didn't listen to the negative. You know what happens when we start listening to the negative is we begin to take in that garbage. And that garbage begins to define us rather than the Word of God defining us. And so we want to go to the place that God's Word defines us and not what the enemy is saying. We need to shut our ears. This is the ear gate right here. Shut the ear gate. Shut it up. Don't hear it. Don't receive it. You know, uh, Herman and I were talking about the the, the uh, old saying, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. I said, so I was telling Herman, I said, now if you want to be more spiritual, then you need to do it. Then you need to do it like the Bible says do it. And the Bible doesn't say don't throw the baby out with the bath water. The Bible said it is a wise man, turn to your neighbor and say wise man, wise. that learns to separate the gold from the doo-doo. It actually says draws, but that's what it means. So that tells you that don't care where you are, and, and you, if you're listening, if you're looking, you can find gold, even though there's a bunch of, of bull going on all around you. Amen? And so we don't throw the baby out with the bath water and we don't, we don't, we don't just ignore everything. And so what happens is you train your ears. Turn to your neighbor and say, you train your ears. Train your ears. Turn to the other guy and say, train your, train your ears. You train your ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord says. For a long time, I would go into church and I thought it was my responsibility to judge everything the pastor said. And so what I was doing, I was sitting there going, well, is this truth or is this truth or is this truth? And what happens was I was sifting the dross and missing the gold. I was too busy worrying about all the other stuff and not looking for what God had for me while he had me there. And if he didn't have me there, why what was I doing there in the first place? Amen. And so I'm supposed to be looking for gold. Now, over years and years and years, I'm not going to say it doesn't ever happen, but one of the good things that's happened to me is I don't hear all that other stuff. You ask me, said, Do you agree with you agree with that stuff? And I'll tell you real quick, I agree with what I heard. Well, what did you hear? And what I'll tell you is the gold. And then people ask me continually, Well, did you hear this? Nope, I didn't hear that. Are you sure he said that? Are you sure she said that? And he said, Yeah. You know why? Because you've got to train your ears to hear. Making sense to you? You may come in here and listen to me for 45 minutes. And you may not get but one nugget. How many people have stood and panned for gold for days and days and days only to get an ounce or two of gold? A matter of fact, it would be worth it if you got two ounces of gold and spent a week doing it, wouldn't it? It would be worth about $3,600. What if you just came to church and you just got one nugget? You choose what you, what you walk away with. Amen. And so he tells us that he could not speak and he could not hear. Let me ask you this question. What are you listening to? What are you listening to? Then the bigger question is, what are you saying? Are you repeating what you're hearing? Are you repeating what God said? Major difference, those two. You know, there's a scripture that we like to quote, Revelation twelve eleven, and it says, "...they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony." Turn to your neighbor and say, "...word of their testimony." "...for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down." to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Turn to your neighbor and say the devil knows his time is short. He is in a place of great wrath. He's pouring out his wrath. That's what that scripture said. And he said, but the scripture goes back and says they overcame him they overcame him let me let me just go on and read 12:17 let's just skip down a little bit then the dragon who's the dragon satan became furious with the woman just so you know the woman represents god's kingdom and it will represent her sea her uh, child and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Let me interpret that. There's going to be a remnant of people that are going to stay true to God, and the enemy is going to try to take them out because he is mad as hot. He is angry. He stirred up. He knows that time is limited. He understands that he has but a short while, and trust me, he knows his destination. He understands what's about to happen with him, and so he's going to wreak as much havoc as he can. Let me tell you what's happening already in the United States of America. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there were about 43% of Americans attended church on a regular basis. If you go back... 30 years ago you'll find out that about 55 to 60 percent today less than 33 percent of Americans attend church they have believed the lie over the truth and they see no need in hearing about a God as great as the economy and the prosperity is in our nation right this minute the lack of faith in our nation is equal to our prosperity We have put our faith in our money and not our faith in our God. Our money becomes our provider. Our money becomes our source. Our money becomes those things. And God is put way down here because we don't need him. I'm just telling you, the enemy is angry. Angry and he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, he will deceive you at every turn that he can deceive you at. He is coming after you as hard as he can come after you. Let me put this whole thing in context for you, and then i want to preach. In, John, in Revelation 12, 1-6, John sees in a vision a woman, he sees Satan, and he sees the birth of a child. The woman here represents the kingdom of God. I'm not going to go through the whole study. You go back and study it out. But the the woman represents the kingdom of God, and the woman gives birth to both Jesus and then Jesus to the church. Satan is trying to destroy both the kingdom and the child. He knows he can't destroy Jesus, right? He's already failed at that. And so who is the child now that he's trying to destroy? Turn to your neighbor and say, you. He's trying to destroy the church. The woman flees into the wilderness. This is a picture of the persecuted church. How many of you have seen all about the persecuted church on the news lately? You know how much you've seen? Less than 1%. Now let let me give you the real facts. One in nine Christians... That's more than 10% of Christians are being tortured, imprisoned, and put to death today. In Nigeria, it has reached the point of genocide. You know what that means? It means they're killing every Christian they can put their hands on. The church is persecuted in numbers never, ever seen before. There's more persecution today than there was in the first church, the second church, the third church, or the fourth church. There's more persecution going on today than had ever gone on in the history of Christendom. Hard to believe, isn't it? We read about all this stuff and we see about all of these places where they were carrying into arenas and putting them down there, and we think, man, it couldn't be that that, that horrendous now. Really? Really? Have you heard about these where they hook them up to these weapons and vaporize them? I'm not going to go into the rest of them. They just get horrendous. What I'm telling you is you're living in the book of Revelation right now. Satan is playing his hand, and he's increasing the stakes. Let me let you in on a little secret. Your mouth becomes the greatest weapon in the hand of the enemy or in the hand of God. you can come into agreement with satan and you could see the destruction that's happening on the earth with christians and you can come into agreement of how terrible that is or you can come into agreement with god's word where he says i will bring vengeance on the earth to those who persecute my beloved Amen. what are you going to do you're going to you're going to you're going to sit there and 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 be be all down in the dumps about what's happening? Or are you going to pray and intercede and begin to declare God's word? See, fear and worry are brought on because we stand in agreement with what the enemy is saying and not what God is saying. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit and the church defeat the schemes of the enemy. Turn to your neighbor and say, they defeat the schemes of the enemy. For those of you that don't know, the Holy Spirit and the church wins not the immature church, not the carnal church, the church of Jesus Christ, the Lord and the Savior. Those that are sold out to Him, they win. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a winner. I refuse to lose. It says in those scriptures right there in that same book, it says that, that the enemy will influence those and in, kings and presidents and those people in high places, and he will turn them against the church. How do you know we're blessed because our president hadn't turned against the church? But the nations of the earth are turning against the church. The institutions of this nation are turning against the church. And the book says that's going to happen. But he doesn't go fall back and say the church doesn't win. He says the church through the Holy Spirit wins. Turn to your neighbor and say, we win. We win. Say it again, we win. And the way we win is we come into agreement and we begin to release God's word. Now that you understand what's happened, how the enemy has come in, how he's been cast down, how he's he's stirred up all that he can stir up, let's go back to that scripture. and says, and they overcame. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm overcoming. I'm an overcomer. Say it one more time. I'm an overcomer. How do you become an overcomer? You do it through the blood of the Lamb. Now I want you to get you this picture, all right? And I want this picture of you to look and you got blood and that blood is covering your head. It's covering your body and it covers you down all the way to your feet. You are now interacting with the blood of Jesus. But you know something? It doesn't do me any good if I just use that as a literary understanding of what the blood is all about. Until I begin to grab hold of what that blood is all about. You see, when I put when I take on the blood of Jesus, I am now taking on the identity of Jesus Christ. My my daddy's blood flows in my veins, and because my daddy flows, blood flows in my veins, part of my identity is birthed out of him. All right? And so when I understand that, then my now identity comes out of the blood of Jesus Christ. I am no longer helpless. I am no longer hopeless. I am no longer hapless. I am no longer defeated. I am no longer in a place where the enemy can lie to me. I am no longer listening to what he has to say. I am speaking the truth, and I am declaring God's word, and I believe what his word has said. Why? Because I'm covered in the blood of the Lamb. Come on. Not because I'm so great, but that blood. Woo, that blood. That blood. That blood makes me identify with him. That blood says I'm forgiven. That blood says I am righteous. That blood says I am holy. That blood says I have authority. That blood says I can do what God says I can do. That blood says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That blood says I can overcome the devil at his wildest game. He cannot have victory over me, but I have to agree with his word. Come on. So step one is to understand the blood of Jesus. Step two, the word of their testimony. What is the word of their testimony? The word of their testimony is very simply. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been forgiven by the blood of the Lamb. I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I am in God's hands and He never lets me go. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has bought and He has paid for me. The enemy has no right to me. God holds title deed to my life. Come on. I believe what God said, and the word said, let every man be a liar, and God's word be the truth. I'm telling you, I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited about what God says. So I recognize the blood of the lamb, and then I testify to what that blood has done. And then look at the next, the third thing. They love not their own lives. How I many you know we love our life? Don't get thin-skinned on me now. We love our lives. We do everything we can to create creature comforts. I do, too. I'm not condemning you, okay? After lunch today, I plan to go get in my pool and cool off, then I'm going to go lay in my bed, and and I'm going to take a nap under a fan. And I'm going to sit there, and I'm going to go, man, how blessed and wonderful this is. The scripture said they love not their own lives. Turn to your neighbor and say they they are not selfish. They are not self-centered. They are not seeking their own. They have come to do the will of the Father. If that means death, so be it. If it means life, so be it. But We have come. We don't love our lives. We don't put our lives and say, how will this affect my life? If I go take care of that bum on the street, how's that going to affect my life? If I go take care of that drug addict that's a pain in the butt at 3 o'clock in the morning, how's that going to affect my life? It says they loved not their own lives, even unto death. So my, my confession becomes, you must become greater, I must become, become smaller. Your will, not my will. Until that becomes a reality in my life. In most, not every, but in most American churches, there is no reality to that. They go to church to find out what God can give them and how he can make their life more comfortable how he can heal them, how he can make them more prosperous, how he can can make them more comfortable, how he can make them so suited to the lifestyle here on earth they won't want to come to heaven. All the disciples wanted to talk about was going to heaven. Too many Christians afraid to die. We're fearful over death. And we confess our fear of death. The greatest enemy to your faith is what you're seeing. Now let me tell you this, what you're seeing is what comes out of your heart. There's two times that you know that you've gotten past the selfish level into the heart level. One of them is when a man is angry. He will release what's in his heart. And then he goes back and apologizes and said, No, that's not real. It's real, or it wouldn't have ever come out. The other times when a man's drunk and he doesn't have control over what he's saying, we neither want to be angry or drunk, right? Unless it's on the Holy Spirit. But we want truth, what's in our heart, we want it to be revealed to us so that we can put it before the Holy Spirit and allow Him to deal with it.
1: You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday for service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you.
0: May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will
1: overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.